Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Flora. If you would like more information about our church, please visit www.fbcflora.org. You know, we all feel like that sometimes, don't we? Temptations get real and they get intense and they happen. And we just sometimes just find ourselves just got to go, not today, Satan. It ain't going to happen today. This, this, is, this is the day the Lord has made. Uh, it ain't happening today. And it, it's just real. It's just real life. Temptation is just real life. And so we better talk about it. And we better take a look at it because our, we find our lives constantly rocked by temptation. Possibly even since you walked in this morning. Even since you pulled on this parking lot. Even since you left the house this morning. You've encountered some kind of temptation. And maybe you succumbed to that temptation. And you sinned even after you walked in this room today. Because it's for real and it happens and we've got to talk about it. So grab your Bibles if you would and turn to James chapter 1. We're back in the book of James. Uh, we're going to be... Because I want to pull in those last few verses there too. So if you got your Bible, I hope you do. Turn it to James chapter 1. And uh, let's stand and read this passage of Scripture together. James chapter 1, starting in verse 12. James writes, The blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person, check this out now, each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. to change of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures may god bless the reading of his word this morning let's pray so help us now father as we gather around your word thank you for the awesome worship through music today lord as we have rejoiced in you lord and i pray that that worship will continue as we study your word now lord and the only way it really happens is, in, is when we determine that we will obey. So help us to do that by the power of your Spirit, who's our teacher today, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much. You may be seated. And sometimes we feel like we need to, um, like, learn new things about God and about the Bible and about doctrine and about theology, and all of those things are very important. Please don't hear me saying that that's not important. We certainly should continue to strive to learn new things about God. We should constantly try to learn new things about the Word of God. We should be concerned about our doctrine and about our theology and what we know about God and what we believe about God that is so important. And the vastness of God and the vastness of His Word assure us that we will uh, continue if the rest of our lives uh, trying to understand more about God, and we'll never get to the end of him, and that's okay. That's, that's part of it. You just keep pressing on. 
But, also, but sometimes we just need to stop and consider whether we are applying that which we already know and understand. It's good to want to know new things and study new things. And, and, but sometimes we just need to stop and say, you know, what about what I already know? I've had people say to me, you know, John, there's just so much about the Bible that I don't understand. And I nod my head and say, I agree with you. I'm with you. It doesn't matter how many degrees from seminary you have, you're still going to have things in the Word of God that are going to puzzle you and confuse you and that you're not going to completely understand. There's no doubt that there is truth in that, that there will be things that you don't understand. But what the real issue is, what are we doing with the part of the Bible that we do understand? Peter was writing about this in 2 Peter chapter 1, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 he had, and, and when Peter wrote to those folks in 2 Peter, he, he had given all these qualities and attributes that they ought to have in their lives if they're going to live for Christ. And so he had listed those things in the first part of that chapter. And then verses 12 and 13, he said, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, to keep reminding you of these things that I've told you about, though you know them and are established in that truth. In other words, you already know these things. You already understand these things. But then he goes on to say, but I think it's right that as long as I'm here to stir you up by way of reminder. In other words, he says, I know you know this stuff, but I'm going to keep telling you about it. And I'm going to keep reminding. That's why I've been here two and a half years as your pastor. You've heard me preach on prayer before. You've heard me talk about the Great Commission multiple times. That we're to go and make disciples. You've heard me talk about evangelism and go share Christ with people. You've heard me talk about. And so it's important to be reminded of those things that we already know. And that's what Peter was doing here, these qualities. But then James also seems to do that here as we look at this passage of Scripture. Because it seems like that James is, is coming back to remind us again about the issue of trials and tests. You remember, see what he says there in verse 12. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial because when he stood the test, he'll receive the crown of life. Well, I mean, if you remember... The first message that I preached in this series was over there in chapter 1, verses 2 and 3 that talks about trials and tests. So 10 verses later, 9 verses later, James is going, hey, remember, remember the tests and trials? Well, you're blessed if you remain steadfast in the midst of those trials. So James is just reminding those people that you've got to understand these tests, these trials are going to come. And it doesn't matter who you are, whether you're poor or rich. Back up to verses 9 through 11. Take a look at that real quick. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. That's a poor person. Let the poor person boast in his exaltation. And let the rich person in his humiliation, because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. What James is saying here is that it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You better stay focused when the tests come, when the trials come. He said it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. You better stay focused on one thing, and that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fact that you're saved and the fact that God's given you everything that you need. It doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank or how much money you ain't got in the bank. You stay focused on the gospel. He said for the poor person, Rejoice in your exaltation. Now, wait a minute. What's that, what's that talking about? Why would he tell a person, a poor person, to rejoice in being exalted? Because for the poor person, the gospel means, hey, look, it doesn't matter that you don't have a lot in this life. You've got heaven. 
You are somebody. The world may look at you and say, they ain't nothing because they ain't got much. But God says, you're somebody. You have arrived. So rejoice that you are exalted as a child of God. And for the rich person, which is all of us in here, he says, you rejoice in your humiliation. He says, you rejoice in the fact that you understand that it doesn't matter how much money you got in the bank, how big your portfolio is or anything else, you are spiritually bankrupt apart from Christ. Because you ain't going to take any of that stuff with you. And so that's what James is telling these folks. He said, look, man, you need to stay. Because all of that stuff can pass away. All of the riches can be gone. The nest egg can crack. The safety net can break. The contingency plan can fall apart. And it all can be gone in an instant. But your salvation is yours forever. And so that's what he's saying. He said, man, just be focused on, stay focused on the gospel no matter what comes your way. No matter how bad things get. No matter how hard your struggle is stay focused on the gospel of Jesus the fact that you are saved if you are and if you're not I hope you get saved today that you are saved and you are for sure in him forever because he says there blessed is the man who perseveres who 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 remains steadfast blessed that word means happy fortunate you remember Jesus in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5, the, the Sermon on the Mount, you remember the Beatitudes? Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who mourn. All those things. That word blessed means happy or fortunate. And it's like, wait a minute. Why should I be happy? Why should I consider myself fortunate when I'm going through hard times? It's because James said, if you will remain steadfast, if you will stand firm, if you will endure despite the opposition, and the only way you can endure is because of the gospel, then you are a blessed person. Because somebody that ain't got the gospel, somebody that doesn't have Jesus, somebody that's in this room and you don't know Christ, you have no hope when the hard times come. You're going down. But for those of us that know Christ... We can actually be happy and fortunate when the hard times come. So we can rejoice in that. But there's a word of warning that I want to focus on today. This is where we're going to focus our attention today. Just as... All right, so trials and temptation, trials and difficult times come. But the word of warning is this. Those trials and the hard times that you're in right now, I know some of them. I know you and I have talked, bless you, we've talked about some of them. We have prayed together about some of them, things like that. So we have done that. So I know, so I don't know all of them, and that's okay. I will never know all of them, but I know some of them. And so I will tell you this, that hard time that you're in right now, if you're not careful, it can make you very vulnerable to temptation. That's why right after James says, blessed is he who perseveres stands firm in the midst of trials he talks about temptation the next verse because that trial that hard time can make you very vulnerable to temptation i mean just think about it you get in that hard time whatever it is i, I don't whatever it is whatever your hard time is whether it's family stuff marriage stuff 
money stuff, school stuff, friendship stuff, an addiction you're dealing with, a health issue you're dealing with, whatever it is. What, you, just, whatever, you, you got your stuff, I got my stuff. We all got stuff, amen? We all got stuff. And so whatever that thing is, it can make you very, very, very vulnerable to temptation. Charles Stanley, you've heard me say this before. Charles Stanley, he's a retired pastor from First Baptist Church Atlanta. My mama watches him two times a day. Every day, Johnny, I watch Dr. Charles Stanley. Why don't you watch me, mama? But anyway, uh, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, uh, what was I talking about? Uh, but Dr. Ch- Dr. Stanley says, you gotta ha- here are four ways that you halt temptation. H-A-L-T. Because these are four places where you get real vulnerable to temptation. Number one, don't get too hungry. The H stands for hungry. Don't get too hungry. Now, that's not just talking about physical hunger. I'm hungry for a big pizza or whatever. It can be that, but it's talking about don't don't get too hungry for the things of the world. Those things that glitter and those things that vie for your attention. And Don't get too hungry for those things. If you get too hungry, you're vulnerable to temptation. H-A, the A stands for angry. Don't get too angry. You know you're vulnerable to temptation when you get angry. You, I mean, you saw the video, the, the traffic jam and people cussing and stuff like that when they get into a traffic jam or whatever. You get angry, aren't you? You're, well, that's just the way I am, John. I just got a hot temper. Well, bro, you need to deal with it. Let the Spirit of God take care of that in your life. That is no excuse. When you get angry, don't get to L, H-A-L, halt, H-A-L. The L stands for lonely. Don't get too lonely. There's a whole lot of people that got too lonely and they made a one-time decision that wrecked their entire lives and the lives of all those people around them. And then don't get too tired. You get tired, you're vulnerable to temptation. You're vulnerable to snap. You're vulnerable to whatever. You just think about that pain. The pain that's in your life makes you vulnerable because you're hurting so bad and you want, you want somebody else to hurt with you. And so you're just going to lash out and make sure somebody else is hurting because you're hurting. It ain't fair that I'm hurting so bad. Or you get discouraged because it just seems like the, this hard time that I'm in is never going to go away. It, it's just not getting any better. And boy, you just, you just rip into people around you because you're so discouraged. or You're, you're just so tired. And, and I'm just tired of this thing. I'm tired of this struggle. And boy, you just, you just blow up on everybody. And you give into that temptation. You see what I'm talking about? That's why James put these two so closely together. And so the application for this sermon is that every Christ follower needs to be prepared for temptation. Because just like trials and uh, tests come to your life, temptations are going to come to your life. The trials and the tests come and temptation is going to come. So we better talk about it. So that's what the first thing is that temptation is real. It's real. Expect it. James said, let no one say, verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted. Just like he said back in verse 2, count it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter trials. Not if, but when. He didn't say uh, now, 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 if you happen to be tempted, this is what you know, or if you're one of those really weak Christians then, and who gets tempted, now he said, man, when you get tempted, it is real, expect it, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. Sometimes the battle is intense, and uh, the, 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 uh, the, the temptation is intense, and the battle is on, and that's when you got to go, not today, Satan, 
Not today. And I mean, you stomp your feet and you stand your ground. You stand on the Word of God and say, not today. You're not having my kids. You're not having my grandkids. You're not having my marriage. You're not having my life. You're not having this church. Not today, Satan. Sometimes it's real intense. Sometimes, sometimes it's disturbing. Sometimes the temptation is disturbing. You find yourself, man, you think, man, I have never been tempted this way. Now, I got these temptations, that, that I, but I've never been tempted this way, and it just disturbs you. That coming out of nowhere, you get tempted with something that you ain't never been tempted with before. And sometimes it's very familiar, though. Sometimes our temptations are very familiar because the writer of Hebrews chapter 12 said, Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off the sin, throw off the weight that, uh, that we're carrying and the sin that so easily entangles us. You got a sin that easily entangles you? A temptation that is very familiar to you? Because it's there all the time, because Satan knows you are real prone to give in to that sin. And sometimes it's real subtle. Sometimes that temptation comes and you give in to it and then it's like, man, where did that come from? And it's just this real, you just better understand that temptation comes and it comes from our own desires, not from God. That is a ludicrous thought straight from the enemy that God is the one who's tempting you. But we can, we can tend to, to link, we, we, probably none of us in here would actually say, God's tempting me. But you know what we do say? Just like I said earlier, well, I just, you know, that's just the way I am. That's just the way God created me. No, no, it ain't. No, it ain't. And so we kind of are tending to say, yeah, God's the one. He made me this way. You hear people say that. That's, he made me this way. This is how I am. This is how I'm, the lifestyle that I want to live. Even though I don't care what the Bible says, God made me this way, and this is how I'm going to live my life. The temptation is real, y'all. One guy wrote about it, and he said, when a person becomes, listen to this, when a person becomes a friend of God, he becomes an enemy of Satan. And he can expect to be attacked at any time, at any level, and along any avenue. The Christian who thinks he will gradually outgrow temptation as he matures in the faith has already fallen for one of the devil's cleverest lies. You just go, it's real. Expect it. It's coming. Temptation is real. And secondly, temptation seems good. Temptation seems good. Now, I don't consider myself to be an expert fisherman i mean I, i've never caught a big whopping wall hanger bass the big, biggest one i've ever caught is about four pounds and you know you're all, well, all right, man, let me show you mine you know i know y'all y'all all got those i know i see the pictures and all that kind of stuff i, I just i never had i just hadn't would like to but i just never have i would like to i would like to i would like to and uh, but i just never have and so uh in the the bulk of my fishing experience was as a little kid sitting on the bank of my papa's pond with a cane pole in my hand with a, with a cricket catching brim. I caught a bunch of them. But you don't have to be an expert fisherman to know there's some things about fishing that's, that are pretty, pretty, pretty common, pretty uh, 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 consistent. There's usually some kind of bait or lure involved, and there's usually some kind of hook involved. 
Am I right? I mean, I'm not an expert, but am I pretty close there? I mean, there's a bait lure and there's a hook. And the bait might be a cricket or a worm or a minnow or some stink bait or something like that. Or it might be a crank bait or a spinner bait or a hula popper or, you know, something like that. It can be a lot of different things. But that, that, that thing, that bait, that lure is designed to be enticing to that fish, to drop it down somewhere close to hopefully get it close to that fish down on the water, get it up in front of that fish to catch that fish's attention, ignite that desire somewhere inside that fish brain and draw that fish in closer. And the desired end result is that that fish will be overcome with desire, give into that temptation and take that bait or lure into his mouth so that his enemy, the fisherman who in the boat or the little kid that's sitting on a bucket on the side of the pond can set the hook that the fish didn't realize was there and reel him in and then kill him and eat him most of the time. Sure seemed good to the fish at the time. Sure looked right at the time. So what's your What's the lure for you? What's the, uh, the enticement? So he said there, each one is tempted when he is lured or enticed. What lures you? What entices you? What looks good to you? I mean, it's temptation. Temptation seems good. Seems good, shiny, pretty, you know. Some, I guess something I'd probably want. But temptation leads to death. He goes on to say there, then desire, when it's conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. The moment you go for it and you take the bait, conception happens. Y'all know what conception is. Y'all know when it happens. It's an instantaneous thing. And that's what happens. Conception happens. And just as the conception of a child usually leads to the joyful anticipation of birth of that child, so we think that this thing that we have taken hold of will bring us joy. It seems right. Looks good. Seems good should bring me some joy. But James is really graphic here because instead of this being the joyful moment of the birth of a beautiful child, it's a stillborn child. Death. It brings forth death. I've got a friend of mine who his wife had to give birth knowing that the baby was dead. And she had to give birth. I was down the hall at the hospital when she gave birth in the room and I heard her screaming, not just in physical agony, but screaming a guttural scream that only a mother could scream, giving birth to a dead child. 
That's what this is. That is sin. Looks good. Supposed to bring joy. Sure thought it was going to bring joy. Sure seemed right at the time. And it gives birth to death. And y'all, here's the thing. It ain't just you. The death that happens, it affects a whole bunch of people. It affects a whole bunch of people. I read a story this past week, back in June of 2018. There were a couple of rock climbers. Uh, best friends. Been best friends for years. Their names were uh, Tim Klein and Jason Wells. Rock climbers, best friends, professional rock climbers, very experienced rock climbers. Went out to climb El Capitan. I think that's out in California. The big sheer rock face that everybody goes climb. It's one of these big deals. And so they went out and they, they, they climbed it many times before. But today they were going to speed climb. And when you speed climb, you don't use quite as many safety precautions as you normally do when you're just taking your time and you want to see how quick you can get up the rock. And so they were experienced. They, you know, they, they, we, we can do this, we can do this, we can do this. And so they took off and they went up the rock and, and, and uh, uh, Jason Wells was further up the rock. And he slipped. And because there were no safety precautions, he began to fall. He was tethered to... Tim Klein that was the only safety thing they had was they were tied together and so when Jason Wells fell Tim Klein saw him coming nothing he could do Wells went past him jerked Tim Klein off El Capitan and they fell a thousand feet and both of them died and that's what sin does because when you fall and it pulls you away from the safety of your walk with God. You start pulling other people with you. You start pulling spouses away. You start pulling kids away. You start pulling grandkids away. And it can go on for generations. One unguarded moment. One decision, one fall can lead to a multitude of other lives being affected for years and years and years. Marriages, families, churches, businesses, schools, nations, so many people needlessly suffer because our decision, because of our decision to try to cheat death and give in to that temptation. That phrase, just this once, has led to the death of so many people. So many people. And i got to hurry with this last point because God offers something better. God offers something better. You get the verses 16 through 18. I'm not going to go back and read them again, but listen to me. And i got to wrap this up. So often in our times of trials and temptations, we tend to forget how good our God truly is. That's why we give in to those temptations. We think we know better than God, and yet God is so good. So James reminds us here in verses 16 through 18 that God is the giver of all good gifts. 
He's the giver of all good gifts. He's the sovereign creator and father of the heavenly lights who is intimately concerned about each of these, each of us who are here today. He is dependable and he never changes. He is gracious in giving us all the good gifts that we need, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the fruit that comes with the Holy Spirit. He is gracious in giving us the new birth that leads to life instead of death. Verse 18 in the New Living Translation says, God chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word. The word is Jesus. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. So God gives us something so much better. When we're staring that temptation in the face, we've got to remember that God offers us something so much better. So how do we stop this progression? How do we stop the progression you know, people have been diagnosed with cancer, and they go to a doctor and get the treatments to try to stop the progression of that cancer. My daddy had Alzheimer's, and I'm praying to God that one day they'll be able to stop the progression of Alzheimer's. An army sees an enemy coming, and they're attacking, so they go out there to try to stop the enemy from progressing any further. You guys on the football field, you're trying to stop the progression of the team that's on offense when you're on defense. You don't want them to move that ball any further down the road, and we don't want this sin to continue to happen in our lives. So how do we stop the progression? Number one, remember that the temptation is not sin. When you are tempted before you walk out of this room today, as some of you will be, remember that's not a sin. Because there is one who was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, and his name is Jesus. The temptation is not sin. Secondly, go to that second point. The second thing is this. You need to recognize your areas and times of vulnerability. You know when you're most vulnerable. You know when you're most vulnerable. You know what it is that causes you to be most vulnerable. So recognize that the third thing that is to reach out to others for help. Draw some people in close. Look around this room. That's what this room is for. It ain't just for us to gather one time on Sunday and sing some awesome songs and have some great fellowship and pat each other on the back and then go on and live our lives and give in to temptation again and again and again when you got an army of people around you that you could call out to and say, Help me! So men, reach out to men. Women, reach out to women. I need some help. And finally, run from that temptation, but you run to God when you run from it. The Bible says flee from temptation. But when you run from the temptation, you run to God. You run to the one who will give you every good and perfect gift. Matt, y'all come on. The one who will give you every good and perfect gift. You run to him. And maybe you need to even run to him this morning right now. So the invitation this morning will be for, first of all, as always, for those who need Christ. Because listen, you don't have Jesus, you ain't never going to make it in temptation, trials, tests, nothing. You have no hope. You have no, because he is your only hope. He is my only hope. Has nothing to do with me being a preacher. Has everything to do with the fact that Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. He's my only hope. Vicky's not my hope. I love her all my life. But she's not my hope. Rachel is my, the daughter that I love with all of my life, all of my heart, give my life for. But she is not my hope. Jesus is. So you've got to have Christ. But then others of you that know Jesus, but come on, let's just be honest. Some of you are getting smacked left and right, getting taken down by temptation. And it is so time for that to stop. 
You come to this altar, get on your face before the Lord and cry out to Him. Run from that temptation and run to Him. But just know you're going to have to keep running. <laughs> You've got to keep running. And you keep running. You keep reaching out to, the, uh, to friends and, uh, and brothers and sisters in Christ. And you keep reaching out to the Lord. But you run from that temptation and you run to God. And you can do that even now as we enter into this temptation. Father, will you help us now by the power of your spirit to do what you're calling us to do. Whatever that might be today, Lord, we give it to you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.